All right, we're back. So, moving on to our uh, evangelical story. But before that, we're going to try this Vista Bay Hard Seltzer. Perfect for the hot day during the summer, the Vista Hard Seltzer Variety Pack includes these delicious flavors to choose from. Um, I currently am holding the coconut mango. The rest of the same one? That's all we got. All right. That's good. Uh, it only has three three net uh, grams of carbs. It's gluten-free. It comes out of Germany, and it has an alcohol percentage of 5.0. 100 calories if you are also counting those. All right. <laughs> I'm impressed at that elaborate description for what could be ad- adequately described as Aldi White Claw. <laughs> Good, I like the flavor. Oh yeah, it's it's not overpowering. It, but I the coconut, the coconut makes it. The coconut you can be mistaken mango. for thinking that doesn't have alcohol, which in a, yeah. way, a lot of ways makes it the yeah. perfect alcoholic drink because you can just keep chugging. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At first, it gave me. I guess it's the mango, and <laughs> but at first, I thought it was like peachy, and then the coconut takes over. But Aldi does a good job at at some of their their selection. They their think wine it really and, well. Yeah. Yes, they do. I gotta give them mad props. Yeah. I mean, this is gluten free. Yeah. It's a health drink. <laughs> Guys, it was $6 for a six-pack. It's the cheapest multi-packaged alcohol you Here can buy on any shelf anywhere. Tonight, fellas. Cheers. <laughs> 5% alcohol by volume. That's not bad. Mm-mm. It definitely doesn't taste 5%. And the, the flavor's good. It's it's light. It's crisp. Um, yeah. The mango and the coconut's well-balanced. Honestly... This might be better than a white claw. I think it is. Yeah. It's, I, I can see that. Think so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a sneaky drink. If someone handed this to me on a patio, I wouldn't know I'm drinking. Right. Pairs yeah. great with a knockoff Aldi Oreos. <laughs> there you go. Actually manufactured and canned in Germany. Yeah, that's what it said on the website. It's an import. <laughs> it is technically an import. I mean, Aldi's got some ridiculous economy like scale it, going on like there or something. Yeah. Like, I, I'm guessing a lot of the stuff there is actually from Germany. Probably. Like, probably the, yeah, the all these stuff that Germany. can stay on the shelf for a while. Oh. Like, they just they have it ruthlessly optimized to whatever. Yeah. What an amazing operation. Completely changed. I think my family would starve if Aldi did not exist. <laughs> Aldi is amazing. Yeah, I shop there way too often. <laughs> I, I, they deliver too. I go to Mark's more. I I don't like Aldi just because I feel like <sighs> when you want something like specific, they don't have it. They have their stuff and that's it. But like I like wild caught shrimp. They're all about the farm shrimp. But when, once you once you are properly catechized in the Aldi religion, <laughs> you are conformed to Aldi's will, and no longer like, do you do you desire, um, you know. Uh, Tostitos or Frito or whatever you know, Frito Lay's right. tortilla chip or whatever the those heck it is. Those worldly chips. You're like yeah, those yeah. other chips. It's you know, true. they got the perfect <laughs> amount true. of grease. Yeah. They they hold just the right amount of salsa. I, all these salsa. Only I agree salsa. with them. I do get the. All I salsa. agree with them because I also once you know was a lowly servant of Marks, and <laughs> once I came over and I was converted to the Aldi way of life. My life has been more enriched. I've lived on a higher plane. I'm the about this close to Nirvana. Wow. I think they complement each other well. You can't beat Aldi pizza, for sure. Oh, $5 pizzas? Yeah. Unbelievable. You know what Mark's has, though? You know the like, little, little individually wrapped chocolates that like barely have a label on them, and you can just scoop them up yeah. and or whatever? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Those are so good. Like the, the pecan <laughs> clusters. Yeah. And, and Mark's has... Do they still have the cartoons? Like the little funny guy with the parrot? Uh, yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I, I gotta respect that, too. I mean, if Aldi and Mark's merged, and it was just Aldi... But 
cartoons and those little individually wrapped chocolates, <laughs> that would be pure heaven. I mean, it'd, you'd if take they, like three aisles. Married, <laughs> <rule> more. <laughs> I, I will say, because I'm a huge, because I, I'm always traveling on the go for my daytime job, so I'm a huge pre-cut salad guy. And I will say there's nothing that comes close to the pre-cut salads at Aldi's. Because when I grab the pre-cut salads from Mark's, two days, rotten. You can't, oh, really? you can't even eat them. Yeah. Whereas I can store the ones from Aldi's in the fridge for probably a good four or five days. No problem. Huh. So mm, Mark's yeah. can have some quality control issues. Like I, I bet that pre-cut salad just pulling weeds from the back lot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what, what is this? Yeah, they'll eat it. I always get the uh, <laughs> the pre-cut. It's like coleslaw mix or whatever, but that's... That was good, too. Uh, that's yeah. at Mark's, I would say. I think they have, like, a Disney variety yeah. or whatever. But, but cabbage lasts forever. Last yeah, yeah. Groceries <laughs> over brews, baby. Groceries <laughs> <laughs> over brews. All right, Gumby, over to you. All right, so the one I'm bringing up uh, is long overdue. It's about uh, Jerry Falwell. And I know Keith is excited about this one. <laughs> He's a huge fan. Huge fan. <laughs> so I found this article, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it. All right? The article is called Business Partner, and this is on Reuters, and we'll have links to it. It's on Reuters. Business Partner of Falwell say affair with the evangelical power couple spanned seven years. <clears throat> In a claim likely to intensify the controversy surrounding one of the most Influential figures in the American Christian conservative movement, a business partner of Jerry Falwell Jr. has come forth to say he had a years-long sexual relationship involving Falwell's wife and the evangelical leader. Giancarlo Granda says he was 20 years old when he met Jerry and Becky Falwell while working as a pool attendant on the, I'm not even going to try to say that word, <laughs> Miami Beach Hotel in March 2012. Starting that month and continuing into 2018, Granda told Reuters that the relationship involved him having sex with Becky Falwell while Jerry Falwell looked on. Grande showed Reuters emails, text messages, and other evidence that he says demonstrates the sexual nature of his relationship with the couple, who have been married since 1987. Becky and I developed an intimate, quote, Becky and I have developed an intimate relationship with Jerry, enjoyed watching from the corner of the room, end quote. Granda said in an interview, now 29, he described the liaisons as frequent, multiple times per year, and the encounters took place at hotels in Miami and New York and in the Falwell's home in Virginia. I don't think there's really any need to go on anymore in the article. <laughs> we get the gist of it. Um, Good points to make on this one, though. Yeah, his friendship eventually soured. In part because he wanted to dissolve his ties with the couple and fell into business, into a business dispute with them, which is, I think, how everything kind of came to light. Um, yeah, and so we all know what happened to Jerry after that. He fell from grace. He was fired from uh, from his college. What, yeah. what is the name of the college? Liberty, Liberty. University. Liberty University. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not to mention the fact that he's been caught doing other risque things, like taking <laughs> certain kinds of pictures with students. Yeah, and... with the lady, his pants were unzipped. <laughs> so that pi so when know. that picture came out, and even after, like, the, like I kind of felt this sympathy for him because he explained it that, like, he was commiserating with a friend who was pregnant. And I mean, I never want to count, like, like confirm like somebody's like a, uh, you know, pregnant because you're not supposed to say that. <laughs> right. But I, I'll take him at his word, and I was like. 
you know, that's kind of a nice thing to do to like commiserate. You know, like you know, unbutton the top button, look at us, we're both kind of pregnant. I got my beer, my beer baby, and and then the next, you know, that news with the the yeah. affair came out, and I'm you know I'm thinking like. Maybe Jerry Falwell is like a nice guy. Like maybe there's no nicer thing he can do for his wife than let her be with another man. Sorry. Oh my Ouch. goodness. Sorry. Ouch. What? I should have done it. So what you're saying is he should be a saint. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you're really. I mean, this is might be the most sympathetic he's been because Jerry Falwell Jr. has been an entirely unsympathetic person for entirely far too long and these are the most human things he's like we have record of him doing well he can probably get the eucharist every week (laughs) (laughs) i think the shocking thing about the picture was i think most people had this really conservative view of him it's even see him in that picture for some people he was holding a drink what Oh. Right. Yeah. Not like Beer? Liberty. Yeah. Liberty. Yeah. Boat? Women? Not his wife? What's going on here? Belly buttons? Pants unzipped. <laughs> so for, yeah, so for many conservative Christians, that was enough to really sentence him, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, but, okay, so, we, you know, if we take that one off the table, <laughs> everything you else You can leave it came, on the table, but I'm just joshing. <laughs> we don't even know if they were on the table. When the whole, <laughs> when the whole pool boy thing That's came out said, and busted yeah. open, it was like... When you take everything in context, it's bad. Yeah. It's really bad. Well, not to mention that after that story came out, more students came forward and talking about the things that were actually taking place behind the scenes, how many had had inappropriate interactions with him. So And his wife, too. There was a bandmate of Trey, which is Jerry Falwell Jr. Jr. Oh, I guess Jerry Falwell III. You don't call him Jr. Jr. Uh, Like, like... Becky Falwell came on to him and like made him kind of do some stuff and yeah it was the whole thing. I mean wow. a- apparently she wanted to expand. Pool boys were not enough anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got to be a band groupie. Yeah, maybe a waiter, bartender, who knows? <laughs> I bet podcasters are at risk of this stuff. We better stay away from the Falwells. <laughs> they are when they drink Mister Bay. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's all gonna come out. Look out, roadies. <laughs> yeah, just, I, so I think it's it, it is a really terrible uh, story. Uh, huge hit, I think, for the Protestant side, the evangelical side, yeah. uh, because he was certainly someone with influence. Oh, uh, huge, huge Trump uh, supporter. In I fact, wasn't even going to bring the Trump factor it, in, but well, you didn't have to because Trump would bring it up. Yeah. Uh, you know, he brought the fact that he was a big supporter of his so his hopefully, campaigns. Hopefully, so. he didn't see counsel from Trump. I could see how that <laughs> this went. This might be legitimate Wait, addition by subtraction actually, here. Like he was kind of a liability. Actually, it, if you think about his actions, he may have sought some uh, advice yeah. from Trump. Hey, Trump <laughs> is your wife still available? <laughs> and I think part of that actually, um, there's a, a valid viewpoint that a uh, a pastor who writes for Salon brought up because there's a lot of a crossover between the evangelical political side and the way he sees it. I thought he made was making very valid points that um, there seems to be a huge loss of people in churches, but there's this huge political movement and he sees it where it's people are leaving the church to become political because they're equating them as the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, here I'll quote him real quick because again he's writing for Salon he's a pastor of an evangelical evangelical church 
And he said, uh, over the last 70 years, Christian theology has been steadily replaced within the evangelical world by Republican or, quote-unquote, conservative, conservative ideology. I noticed that this in my time at an evangelical seminary and during my years in ministry, whenever political discussions would go beyond abortion and gay rights, when the conversation turned towards gun rights, immigration, taxing the wealthy, education or health care, the tenets of Christian theology disappeared behind Republican talking points. The evangelical political message was that the Bible should be used in politics to attack certain people, but never to question oneself. That's how you get people to donate. Make the enemy clearly visible and easily definable. That's why the Bible is almost never used in politics as a justification for serving the poor, welcoming the foreigner, healing the sick, or promoting equality. That agenda is not likely to motivate donations from wealthy, white, heterosexual men. Therefore, over time, the evangelical message became that American and Republican were more important labels than Christian, or that they were effectively the same thing. How come every article you read just like reeks of like far left authorship? Was no, I no. the only one that hears that? No, Salon? like you have to. Might as well have done Jacobin or something. <laughs> it's a broad, Might as well go directly from Karl Marx. <laughs> Seriously, like they have to throw the terms like white Republican male. Like what the well, again? <laughs> middle this, age. Th- this is coming from this is coming from an evangelical white pastor. So it's <laughs> this. There's been a lot more receipts collecting this How thing do you know too. He's white. Well, it's sure there's a picture if, somewhere. If, in the if his picture coordinates, because <laughs> they had a picture here, it looks just like him. So. All right. There, there's a. It'd be interesting to do something on this book sometime. I had to go dig up my notes. So, or maybe, maybe we should have a podcast book club or something. But there's an amazing book called um, Jesus and John Wayne, and it goes through this in kind of entire history of American evangelicalism and kind of this merging with right wing politics and hyper masculinity, oh. and where like the the optimal uh, Christian becomes like you know the gun toting, hard living. John Wayne, who tells it like it is, and he does it because he's a patriot, and then it becomes, you know, that evolves into, like, uh, the cult of obsession for Christians over Oliver North, you know, who is kind of like a war criminal or something like that, as mm. I recall. Iran Contra. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> so, and, and, and then evolves today into Donald Trump, and Donald Trump isn't just an ab- aberration, but he's actually a fulfillment of this path we've been on. This path has been also buttressed by the way we've interacted with modern media, in Christianity where it's become more about like the TV pastor, uh, the uh, Christian celebrity, the, the Falwells and the, the Grams and, and whoever, uh, rather than about taking instruction from your, your local pastor in your congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what's even funny about this is they don't draw the line specifically in the book, but like me reading this as a Catholic, I'm sitting here like my kind of like ingrained belief has always been like basically U.S. Catholics do everything evangelicals do, but like 10 years later. And, like, I can think of all, like, every time they bring up, a uh, you know, like, a purity culture guru or this, you know, kind of faith expert, I can think of, like, oh, that guy is the Catholic equivalent over there. Um, it's a very interesting book. Huh. Um, very well researched, too. Yeah. I can see that correlation, definitely. Especially in my church, when you, when all hell broke loose 
in 2020, you really saw that, like, mm-hmm. staunch hardline, like, even, it didn't matter gender, honestly, and that's the thing about the art that, like, got me, is because, to me, that's, that's exclusionary, you know, and it's vilification, but um, I think there are people that you just, females and males alive, it was just like, oh my gosh, it's, like, so toxic to how public, or how... Right. Be, political yeah. line you're toting. It even goes in that too, the with the the women are actually very key reinforcers of, of this. Women who uh will then, you know, coach other women on like traditional like biblical womanhood, you know, as it's called, basically reinforcing the patriarchy. Yeah. Which then feeds back into this cycle. Which I don't mind the you mm. if you if you have a patriarch look to you or, or concept. Like that to me is is not bad. But when you are uh let's say Vice President Harris took office and I would make a statement that, well, you know, I, I stand and applaud with the women who this means a lot to. Yeah. And I would have a Republican female associate, like a friend, she would have said, yeah, well, you know, she slept her way there. Like, excuse, you know what I mean? Like, like there's, there's so demeaning, right? Not only are you, you spitting on the accomplishments of your your gender here in a way and, and our progress is, yeah, humans, you know, and, yeah. and sort of like whether you agree with it or not, don't just go there. Yeah. <laughs> That's not Christian my, either. My wife would argue that most women actually that would they argue like that. Yeah, well, that's true, but but again, that's the same thing as the last topic where I feel like if you're a Christian, you got to talk like a Christian, and Christians would not have said that. Right. And this mm-hmm. was a person from church, mm. right? Right on Facebook publicly. She should be denied communion. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Unless she was talked to. <laughs> Just imagine if most Christians happen to be, you know, right political leaning, but they, you know, did other things that were not that. Like they yeah. were actually otherwise living the Beatitudes and yes. speaking with charity and kindness. Like, I think if I did a deep analysis, you know, be, being, you know, a communist or whatever. Uh, you know, if I did a deep analysis on the policies, I'd be like, well, no, those policies still suck, but I think it would, it would, you know, go down a lot better. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. true. (laughs) So not all Protestants are evangelical and not all evangelicals are hard right leaning Trump supporters. Mm -hmm. That's true. I will certainly admit that there is a large group that supported Trump and was his, probably his biggest base. And they were probably his Achilles heel too. Mm. Right. You know, because, I mean, they were on board. Everybody was on board, and Democrats didn't speak a word right. when Trump put the embassy in Jerusalem. Mm. Evangelicals loved it. That was a prophecy fulfilled. They didn't say a word whenever he did anything for Israel, Republicans or Democrats. No one spoke a word. But the moment those things stopped happening, and then, you know, Trump was just tweeting whatever on Twitter or whatever it is he does that makes everybody angry, yeah. then, you know, then, you know, all the hate comes. Right. So this is where I think the, you know, it, it, it's just muddy in a bunch of games because you can't pick and choose, not even as Democrats. Right. You know, and if you are and it's just politics, then just, then it's just politics. But if there's something sacred to faith, then this is where I think we need to have a clear divide. Right. Because otherwise I, I, we're just going to be circle, a cycle, yeah. and it's never yeah. going to stop. Well, again, that, that article I was quoting was from a white evangelical male. And he's tired of politics being called conservative religion. 
Yeah. He, Christianity should be Christianity. And that's what that quote was all about. If you read the, read the whole article, he's tired of people trying to equate your political platform is being religion. I know. I, yeah, and yeah. I think to Mike's point, uh, mm-hmm. it would irk some viewers instantly or some people are like a trigger word, even, even evoke the word white, especially if you're on the right or evangelical. Yeah. Right. Because there are, there are black Protestants, you know, yeah. female Protestants, you know, yes. like my mom mean, voted just, for Trump. I don't right. know why. Yeah. Uh, actually, I do know why. <laughs> Let me take that back. <laughs> I do know why, but we won't get into that in this episode. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. Because it has nothing, it has nothing to do with, you know, uh, yeah. all these talking points. It I mean, has something to do with something else. You know, uh, so when you even bring up the word white, I mean, that's already... Yeah. I, I, I don't get that. That's a whole... Well, in the author's right. defense, I think he was calling out his own genre, his own group, uh, being a white evangelical male. I think he was trying to call out his own group. I think there's a lot so. of good intentions for that stuff, the white horse mentality, but it causes more divide. Like, it, to me, it's... It does often. It goes so far to prevent racism that it is racism. You know what I mean? And, and exactly I could see point. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think there's anything wrong with being born white. You're not no. automatically I, guilty. So. Yeah, no. I, I think it's an acknowledgement, though, that these, what has become prototypical evan, you know, evangelicalism mm-hmm. has been driven by white people. It it is, and and if you go into that. predominantly non-white communities, it's going to look a lot different. Mm. Um, and 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 there's a lot. That's actually another thing that you know Jesus and John Wayne goes into is is some of this this stuff where we reinforce these these models of this is what it means to be the good Christian, and it kind of becomes this big national thing. It it does come on the on the tail ends of of you know movements of racial backlash, you know times of advancement for non-white people, and then. You know, there comes this you know kind of reckoning where now uh, you're gonna you're gonna find a bunch of, of Christian TV pastors talking about how the culture is being taken by the radical leftists. Like it's never actually explicitly stated in terms of race anymore. But when we're talking about when people are talking about like Marxism encroaching, it really means like non-white people are potentially gaining rights <laughs> or or access you know or resources that particularly that previously were not distributed evenly. Hmm. I don't see That's that. That's interesting. I don't see that. Um, just with my involvement in other communities, I, I'm always surprised on how little the divide is. And, and I don't, not of them are, wouldn't subscribe to being evangelical, but I would say they're a lot conservative. You know what I mean? And that's why I would take offense to that argument because they don't speak to my friends. You know, and my friends is a very diverse group, social and, and yeah. racial. So, And there's definitely a, a part on the left that doesn't understand the entire... They, they try to box in, like, well, every... Anybody who is in a group that doesn't have as many economic resources must therefore be lined up on all these points, talking points to the left, you know, pro-choice, pro-redistribution, pro all these things when the reality is, yeah, you're right. There, you know, there's a lot of people who are conservative, especially in, you know, particular like social concerns mm-hmm. um, and they don't fit in any box. And that's why actually Democrats have a tremendous problem actually speaking to mm. a lot of groups and getting them to actually vote in considerable numbers. I mean, mm. when you look at like, say like the city of Cleveland and like, you're like, you can only get, I don't remember the exact percent, but you're like, you can only get that many percent of people to vote Democrat out of Cuyahoga County. Like, are <laughs> you guys kidding me? Like, no wonder no Democrats win in Ohio. <laughs> gotcha. Well, even the Marxism thing, you know, when I hear people attack that, um, 
And Carl, uh, he was white, wasn't he? He wasn't black. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. It's 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 just a buzzword to get people ginned up about like having decent health care, basically. <laughs> More specifically, I know he was. I think he was actually Jewish. I don't remember what his Jewish name was, but mm. my point was is that he wasn't a black leader. In the right, right. So it's a scare word. Yeah, the socialism that the vast majority of the left wants in this country is like healthcare on par with the UK and like people not to just like not have houses and stuff like that. Right. Like, and it's absolutely buttressed by capitalism. Like none of the social services you get in Canada or most of Western Europe, or whatever work without like tons and tons of capitalism, making boatloads of money that you can collect some amount of taxes from. Like it's an incredibly, hmm like economically liberal society that just also happens to like not charge you $15,000 for a couple nights in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be nice actually. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. But you know, there's, there's going to be always a group on the right, you know, that will support a Trump or a person like Trump or a Falwell for theological reasons. And this, and this is one of the issues that I'll bring up and not, probably not the main one, but one of them, is that because they firmly are dogmatic about believing uh, in apocalyptic end of the world scenarios. Mm -hmm. And they're so addicted to that. And so when they see wars happening and, you know, a Republican president is behind it, man, it's just like, it's feeding this thing. This, uh, what I call bad theology. Uh, as you already stated, Middle, Mideast, Middle East policy, you know, how we, how we yeah. view Israel. Like, Israel can do no wrong because Everything it's part is of the, around that. Yeah. you know, apocalyptic stories, according to some, that they're going to take hold of this land. And Trump is fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. really, he's, he's a step away from God at that point. I've got to vote for him. And, you know, they'll turn their head away whenever he does something that, oh, I wouldn't have done that, but, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But I think both sides do it. I think the media gives the most air to the furthest divergence. You know what I mean? So the mm. far rights, it makes the leftists think, man, the rights are crazy. But they don't speak for most of us. Honestly, we might agree with certain points. And the same with the far left. Like, oh, that's crazy. Like, I don't really want to. What is Cortez or what's her name? Like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah, yeah. Like, like some of her... I read her green plan or whatever, but there's no real way to pay. It's not a tangible solution. And, but yet she gets all this pub for it. And that immediately makes me think like, she's not a serious political participant. You know what I mean? And so like, that's what I think. Like a lot of, and the media covered that a ton, you know? And, and so she would now be a celebrity, a, a favorite of the media. And at this point it's being covered more actually by right wing sources as kind of this attacking point. Okay. Right? Cause it was never really supposed to be like, this is exactly how we're going to implement green policy. It was like a bunch of ideas. Like, this is the crap we need to do to, like, keep the earth from, like, yeah, blowing but, up. Basically. But it was pretty much, like, everything. Like, yeah, sure, pie in the sky. If you want to, like, who wouldn't agree to all this stuff if there was, if it was feasible. But I, I guess what I'm saying is that, like, it paints a bad picture of everybody. Like, mm -hmm. the, the way the media kind of gravitates towards shock just right. makes it bad. It's hard to filter through reality. And conversely, there's actually a way in which they normalize shock, too, where yeah. um, many media sources I've listened to have commented on, like, maybe we need to stop reporting on, like, um, people, I don't know, insurrectionists, for instance, as being just kind of like a normal, like, a, like one side of the take is that, like, insurrection is okay. 
and like because everything's just viewed as another side and as the sides get farther apart it's just like yeah. well we're just oscillating between two versions of normal and meanwhile we're the frog boiling in water right yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's difficult point, i can't that's i guess i'm hypocritical where i can't really give a great solution for media because we're so far along the path but i do think we're in very dangerous territory there's yeah. no great solution as long as it's driven so much by money and clicks like, yeah well and everybody has a voice now it makes it even worse you yeah. know like like half the stuff i read i'm like that's convincing as hell but i have no idea if it's true or not right, nor do i yeah. have the time to really look it up yeah. <laughs> right uh, but i think for the falwell story for me personally i would probably just take a personal spin on it and say like if you're in it, no matter what, if you're living as a Christian, you're going to get attacked and you're going to have to say no to temptation. Like, that's how God knows we really love them and love him. And um, I think the higher on the platform, you look at Ravi Zachariah, I mean, these temptations mm. are real. Like, what celebrity, you know, or, or mainstream person probably isn't, you know, hasn't fallen prey to this. Now, the fact that he kept going. But I do think that that's a great point. this is a challenge to everybody who's listening, including myself, to just kind of, you're going to have challenges that you're going to have to walk away from. And I mean, they're going to be tempting as they're going to push your exact button. That was a good example, too. Yeah, I heard Because Robbie was a huge hit. Mm -hmm. Oh, huge. Still yeah. is huge. Uh, yeah. I heard so how, say how many he's of like, these? He's like good. the Epstein of the Christian world. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Man. How many of these bad. leaders falling? would it take because they, they've been doing this forever for people to be like yeah. maybe i should look at the christian celebrity more skeptical than like the average christian yeah like instead true. of being like wow they're speaking loud and, and saying stuff and it's tickling my ear and yes, man true. they must be really close to god right <laughs> yeah and look at their look at their wealth like what they have i mean it really does speak well it's the fruit yeah. on the tree you measure a christian mostly by yep. the fruit on the tree you know can't yes. help it, Keith. We want gods. <laughs> you're right. You're right. We can't help it. We all want them. And you know the that you know if Zachariah fell off. I'll find someone else. The the fruit is so rotten that it's fermented, and I'm getting high <laughs> off of the raw alcohol. <laughs> this is really quite topical for this podcast. It's true. That's our next. <laughs> Featuring <laughs> rotten fruit alcohol next podcast. Yes. <laughs> this is a cesspool that was in back of Keith's backyard. We're just going to drink it. If this off. mic could drop, it would have dropped. <laughs> and whoever doesn't die by the end of the podcast is the new king. And I don't know. <laughs> they won. <laughs> oh, man. I forgot about the Ravi Zachariah thing. Yeah. That was huge. Way to help our side, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Don't oh, worry, we got, got we got our own monsters over here. <laughs> we should have a Catholic monsters show. That would be something, actually. Ooh. Well, speaking of controversies in the Catholic Church, <laughs> the uh, the Pope just uh, put this uh, new act out there on a traditional Latin form, or what we call the extraordinary form. You hear about this? Oh yeah, I'm I'm really appreciative that you're gonna unpack it for me because I am. I started to listen to an uh, actually I start because I sometimes I hate listen to Taylor Marshall because I'm just like I need to just sometimes ingest the worst possible thing for me and I just fell asleep while I was trying to explain the eight points of the motto proprio so well, that's actually a, take it away that's a great comparison because uh, Taylor Marshall is like a doctor he always paints the absolute worst case scenario of whatever is going to happen it's like Sweet. well I'm evangelical I, that's you you may have cancer. 
So we're going to plan for your death. You should go ahead and call in last rites. <laughs> and it turns out you have appendicitis. Okay. <laughs> He's be, not a great could doctor. Could be indigestion. <laughs> That's Taylor Marshall. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so more or less what it boils down to, and it, listen, this, it, it could turn into a bad thing, but honestly with the way it's written, it may not be a bad thing and i hate to tell you this but i saw it coming <laughs> i saw this coming a mile away i was expecting this and so this was uh just to kind of unpack it for anybody who doesn't understand this so the pope passed new restrictions on the extraordinary form so those who don't understand the extraordinary form that is the mass in latin okay it's the latin mass um, it's done either in a Gregorian or Tridentine style. Um, there's different versions of it. There's like a, a low mass and a high mass. Sometimes things are sung, sometimes they're spoken. Um, we won't go into all the details. We'll wait for our, our liturgical episode to go into that because we could spend an hour on that. Plus, um, plus the history of it because there's different versions of it throughout history. Um, not to be confused with the Byzantine, because the Byzantine has their, has their own, you know, a traditional mass. Um, I, I, I actually really, really like liturgy, if you can't tell. Wow. So. Come up, come up for air for us. <laughs> Imagine a Catholic hating liturgy. I won't go too far into it, but. Wow. <laughs> well, Pope Francis put restrictions on this, all right? And there's this movement inside the uh the roman rite called tradies all right it's it's short for traditionalist and i would like to separate that term because i feel that traditionalists are actually sincere and it draws them into their faith to be in a latin mass and i think that's good i think there's no problem with that tradies will literally walk over and scoff at what we call the Novus Ordo, or, or the New Mass, right? The New Mass, since that happened at Vatican II. So Vatican II... I believe these are also called like the Rad Trads, if yeah. you're familiar with that term. Yes, yeah. So, so Vatican II introduced reforms to uh, what we call uh, the Mass. If you go to a typical Roman Catholic Mass, you're, it's probably going to be in English, uh, depending on which one you go to, they may have uh, even guys playing guitar during mass. Whoa! All right. Yeah. So sometimes um, they have drums. It's no. quite yeah. horrifying, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> guys like us actually don't like that. With brushes, <laughs> though. Not sticks. <laughs> um, thank God that I go to a mass where uh, you know our priest actually does have a touch of the classic, and he does include. Uh, hymns in Latin and traditional stuff. I love that. But it's normally said in English so that people who are newer can appreciate that, right? Um, and then he also does have a couple of more of the modern songs and hymns during certain times of the year, you know, Christmas and stuff like that. Um, all cool, no problem. But the tradies will come in and literally, during Mass at times even scoff at the Novus Ordo and then talk all online about how terrible it is, how uh, Vatican II is a disgrace to the Catholic Church, and they're, they're very, very divisive. 
and they have a big, big voice. Certain people that might have been mentioned <coughs> a few minutes ago <laughs> <laughs> may be part of that movement and very divisive themselves. Um, there are certain outlets out there that I won't bring in because our parish actually does have some exchanges with a few of them are very, very divisive media outlets because they're part of these rad trad movements. And they will scoff at the Pope. They'll scoff at anybody who is not a strict Latinist. And that's wrong. And it's divisive. It's it's just as bad as in, in the evangelical movement. You have cessationists and non-cessationists, right, who will say, well... You know, miracles stopped at 33 AD, you know, or about that time. No, miracles continued. And then you have all these, you know, now you have another 20,000 denominations because they can't agree on that. So it's the same kind of thing where it's very divisive and it brings, you know, division to the body of Christ. And now you don't have unity and people actually hate each other because of it. Because then you have your people like your John MacArthur's who trash every denomination that doesn't see things the way he does, right? Hey, so some of his books are good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll spend time on that later. <laughs> um, and so that's the background for this. So I saw this coming because I felt the same way where you have certain <coughs> doctors talking about these movements. That may or may not have been mentioned previously. And just to back up, cause it was Pope Benedict, right, who opened it up where it individual priests yes. could, uh, you know, kind of, so Francis is kind of going back on what Pope Benedict said really only 13, 14 years ago. Yep. Because the extraordinary form, well, it became the extraordinary form only back in, what, 1962 yep. with Vatican II, where we went from the big switch that kind of everybody's, you know, broadly aware about in the background where... People said Mass in Latin for hundreds and hundreds of years, and then we suddenly said Mass in the vernacular language. Yeah. Mm. Okay. In, in the Church's defense, it actually was because wherever you go in the world, Latin could be found up until more modern times. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of people could, in their communities, still understand Latin, which is why Latin was prevalent all the way up until closer to the modern age. So, that made sense. Um... So what this does is it, it puts restrictions now, and it actually puts it on local leadership. So your popes and stuff have, or not your popes, your bishops have to agree where it is performed and who performs it. And it's established, it's established, and this is, I'm going to say this again, it's established parishes that are allowed to do this. No new parishes. He put that, that on there, and he did it on purpose because of this Rad Trad movement. Because there's a whole bunch of parishes coming up causing division in the body of Christ, and he wanted to stop it at the head. So you can't just organize a group of people who believe that you can only, that everybody who goes to a Latin Mass is much more holy, that they have like tons of midichlorians in their bloodstream that you can't get at a Novus Ordal and, and go make your own parish. And for those people who don't understand what he said, metachlorians are what allow you to use the force. I was going to say, isn't that Disney? Serious yeah. going on? I, I swear, though, there's some people who put it like, like I'm thinking of, um, of uh, am I allowed to say names? Like, yeah, um, go ahead. Okay, I, yeah. on Taylor Marshall's podcast, once I listened to Father Ripperger, 
uh, talk about the great graces offered uniquely through the Latin Mass, and I thought he was going to say that it makes you a better Jedi. Like, that's how far he was going. If you want to be Yoda. <laughs> I mean, and so, so everybody understands, Jedi is actually an understood religion under the United States government. Wow. Is it really? <laughs> it is. Totally we should is. do a show on that. Oh, oh we totally man. should. <laughs> You're going to tell me they're Catholic. But <laughs> that legitimately is recognized as a religion under our government. Hmm. So, metachlorians could be a thing. I'm just saying. <laughs> So, how big is this rad trash thing that this was such big yeah. news? It's huge. Yeah. Okay. Like, it's one of the biggest modern Catholic movements right now, and it's causing huge division as well. So, are you saying the Catholic Church is acknowledging, like, another schism? It is, so, they're not looking at it as a so schism. You guys are so prone to schisms. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We've had like that as hey, much as the Protestant two and two to tango. Years. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, and and that is now now to their credit. I mean, they don't even look as the uh, like even the the Sidovacanists aren't even looked at as a schism. Do I have to unpack that? Because I just oh, saw. Gosh. I just saw. <laughs> I feel so bad for you. Oh, look at that. That's <laughs> yes. There it is. It's right, it's right there in the Wall for Street Journal. In the audio only version. It's right, yes. it's right in the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> the Wall Street Journal is like... Watch it, face it towards the camera. Uh, I can't see. you got to over here. Uh, there you go. There he is. Right it. there. Wall hey, Street... Hey, wait, hey, we're good. Covered, <laughs> covered in the Wall Street Journal. No, you're right for the Wall Street Journal. How'd you pull that right schism? out of the air? Because mm. <laughs> I'm evangelical. Yeah. I'm right. just asking <laughs> questions. <laughs> so, in their defense, the Catholic Church is very, very... Um, definitive on what a schism is. I mean, even the Sidovacanists are not considered a schism. I see blank stares. Yeah, I don't know. You know? Okay, so... so no need to play semantics here. Sidovacanists <laughs> only really recognize Pope Pius Twelfth as being the last legitimate pope, and they do not recognize uh, Vatican II. That's, I'm just going to cut it off right wow. there and just say that's... That kind of defines them. We're not going to go into everything else, but that kind of defines them. And even they are not looked at as schismatics. So schismatics are very, very specific. It's kind of like a regular situation or something like that. Isn't there a term for it, though, what they call that relationship? Yeah, they're they're um, they're not inside... Uh, what's a good way to put it in for evangelical terms? Oh. They're not in relationship with oh, Rome. All right, they're not in a relationship with Rome. <laughs> so true. So, they're having daddy let me dumb issues. this down for you guys. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we don't like to say you're like kicked out of the house. We just like to, to have funny terms for like <laughs> right. we're having an argument. <laughs> right. It's not going well. Yeah, yeah. They're they're not considered in a relationship with Rome. Mm -hmm. So, okay. But they're not considered schismatics either because up until that time. They um, did recognize the seat of Rome, so. So why would he do this now? Why? So he did it now because it is a quickly growing trend among people like <clears throat> certain guys that he just mentioned. <laughs> so is this something that's kind of been building and like? Oh yeah, like Taylor now Marshall reacting to it. Taylor Marshall himself has a huge following, like a huge following, and so and I have no idea who that is. So, so. consider him as. The Jerry Falwell of the of the Catholic side. 
Mo- a little more self-control, sh- though. I'll I should have worn. Really, really <laughs> nice. Clock shadow and a nice voice. A little, just the right amount of vocal fry. It's just yeah, very sexy voice. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and to his credit, to his credit, he does. He does. <laughs> <Too much> alcohol. <laughs> he he does stay out of uh, you know scandal. All right. So. He buttons his pants. He buttons his pants. So far, we don't well, know about any third-party lovers. Because he's got, like, how many kids? Like, nine or something? Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Go ye forth and multiply. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Does he have a private jet? No no private jets oh, yet. Yeah. See, no private jets oh, You're not even on our level, man. Not even on our level. <laughs> See, this is what I mean. He has not reached an evangelical level of success yet. Yeah. <laughs> but he's probably got a louder mouthpiece than any individual bishop in the uh, U.S. for he, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's got a platform. Yeah. yeah. So he's part of that huge movement. And there are other ones which actually bear far more power than he does, which is why I'm not going to reference them right now. But so... Needless to say, this is a huge movement. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say so, uh, uh, to be recognized from the Vatican. You know, oh, that's like game Game of Thrones stuff, man. That's, yeah, that's like yeah. It's good. The Vatican's really good at ignoring like tons of stuff. Mm. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> they really are. Mm. But I like so I'm gonna I'm gonna quote uh, from America Magazine. I really like what he said here because. I feel kind of the same way. I love the tradition of the church. I enjoy the Latin Mass. I really do. Mm-hmm. So I'm not against it. Um, in fact, um, I love the fact that uh, our priest, the first Sunday of every month, he actually does a full Latin Mass. So from beginning to end. I And I enjoy it. My, my 13-year-old son loves it. So um, we thoroughly get a lot out of it because it, it, it's like a window to all of those people who came before us, and it kind of connects us. And, and so we really enjoy that. Um, but so does this author. So I'm, I'm going to, to quote him. He said, First the good. What I saw in the Latin Mass was an unparalleled reverence for the sacred. It hammered home for the first time that I was part of a celebration of these sacred mysteries. Whereas previously I had attended a lot of parishes that couldn't bother to get their sound systems working or that were reliant upon the whimsical improvisations of a well-meaning priest. The Latin mass was choreographed with the care and attention to detail of a Broadway performance. This care for detail, far from seeming stuffy, instead conveyed a deep and passionate love for what was holy. And even more importantly, it invited me to join in that love by taking similar care in my own prayer and participation in the Mass. It gave me a hunger for the beautiful despite my Eurocentric understanding of beauty. There were no felt banners or tacky papier-mâché art in sight. To that point, when the, the Met Gala chose heavenly bodies, fashion, and the Catholic imagination as its theme, do you think they were looking to 1970s Catholics' aesthetics for inspiration? But do you know what else the Latin Mass did for me? I cried the first time I went to a traditional Latin Mass. It made me bitter and arrogant. 
it made me think I had the more ancient and therefore holier, therefore better way to practice my faith. I would make jokes about the Novus Ordo and speculate about the day the church might even do away with the vernacular liturgy, considering it a failed experiment. In one example, I find particularly galling and embarrassing when I attended my regular non-Latin Mass, instead of praying the liturgy, I would actually sit there and count all the deviations from the rubrics that I could notice. I found a lot of security in the very flawed idea that Catholicism is an ancient, unchanging faith. This is the most ancient, unchanging way to live it out. It took me some time and prodding and prayer to realize that this security wasn't in or from God, but rather about reassuring myself that I had an answer that I would never need to change. A very attractive prospect to someone whose world feels in constant flux. We are called to a faith that the truth revealed by God in Christ is eternal and unchanging. But, as Pope Francis has pointed out repeatedly, like a good Jesuit spiritual director, rigidity and possessiveness about how to express that truth are not authentically free expressions of faith. One of the beautiful parts about the celebration of Mass is that it links us to the communion of the Church, extending across time and space. And the Tridentine Mass, representing more than 400 years of that celebration across history, conveys some aspects of that communion powerfully. But unfortunately, some uses of it in our time have become a point of rupture in that communion as well. So I really like the way he put it. And it, this is what I'm seeing in a lot of that movement. I hate to say it, and hey, hopefully he calls me out on it, but I see people like your Taylor Marshalls being stuffy and arrogant in their approach to what is supposed to be something that's universal to everybody. And then they take that part. It's like it's not it, for Taylor Marshall. Somebody. It's like a quick jump from like, well, you're not as holy. You're risking your soul if you don't go to the Latin Mass because it's better. It's a better expression of faith, and it's distinct from the Novus Ordo. The Novus Ordo is we can barely even call it a Mass. You're not even Catholic if you're going there. It escalates then into like all these other things. It escalates into open agitation against the Pope and against like really like common sense, normal Christian things like, you know, charity towards like the poor and stuff like that. I mean, even Taylor Marshall himself, you know, he parlayed that right into open advocacy for overturning the election because he was one of the head, you know, top guys on Catholics for Trump. And his, oh. his YouTube show for, you know, a month or two was like, we're almost there, guys. We're right on on the corner. They're going to find the votes, and Trump's going to be the president again. And then suddenly he dropped that like a hot rock when, you know, after January 6th. But, uh, <laughs> so I had many reasons to say that he was the Catholic version of Jerry Falwell. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. And there's obviously a big movement of them, though, within the Catholic Church. There is. Right. There is. And that's the yeah. thing. This thing, this, this thing ain't going to stop that, just because... Mm -hmm. For one, for one thing, the majority of U.S. bishops have kind of shrugged and have, like, sent out, like, memorandums to their priests that, like, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> um, I did see an example of one in the U.K. who said, hey, we're not, we're actually going to stop the Latin Mass for now. 
um, you know, as we evaluate this and maybe authorize it in certain circumstances, but that largely isn't happening in the U S unless you have one of those smaller, more minority of bishops who is really sensitive to kind of this conflagration that we're also seeing and really in all in U S Christendom of this, you know, March towards, uh, uh, hyper rigidity, traditionalism, trying to recapture something from the past that was supposedly, you know, perfect in our idealized version of how he wants to live and this merger with like alt-right politics um, that's kind of poisoning it at all and taking it beyond yeah. like, hey, we just want to worship differently. Well, we want to worship differently and um, uh, overthrow the U.S. government. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's it's true. That's true. And it's, it's dangerous, especially because you're looking at a church, again, that's supposed to be universal to everybody. Let's take my, my family, for example. I said, my son and I, we enjoy the Latin Mass. My wife gets nothing out of it. Mm-hmm. My daughters kind of enjoy it. They'll follow along, but they actually enjoy the standard Novus Ordo more. So right there in one family, you have a great diversity in their viewpoints. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm fairly ambivalent. Actually, the one time I was like, I'm really excited to go to Latin Mass. It was like my first time. The, the the priest, the normal priest, couldn't make it, and they had a priest who couldn't speak Latin. <laughs> so ah. we I was like, well, what a rip-off! And then it was like a half hour longer than a normal mass, too, and I have no idea why, and my kids were horrible. So then I was like, ah, I give up. <laughs> a high mass is longer than a low mass. <laughs> oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. So one thing I was thinking about that's kind of touching on that, that um, article right there was the original desire to you know, bring in more expression, you know, more alternate liturgy going to the extraordinary form, like where Pope Benedict allowed individual priests to do it, was to counter against what they saw as the excesses when they introduced the vernacular mass after Vatican II, where you had a lot of, a lot of uh, folks get loosey-goosey with their liturgy, and it was mm. alienating. It felt like we were you know, profaning the sacred in some cases, whether it was right or wrong. It was a legitimate feeling, and I think a lot of people felt it. I felt it at various points. Um, and it does bring bring about kind of a, a clarity of like there is something really important, especially in Catholicism, where it is so much about liturgy, of having this commonality, of being able to go even like a place where you don't speak the language at all and being able to participate in the mass. And even when it's like well-meaning and maybe even if it's like, you know, maybe within the style of mass you like, like maybe you are like a, a, an ordinary form, you know, novus ordo type person and you're like totally chill with that. If you go to a place where they're loosey goosey about it, maybe you like everything else about that and you feel er- comfortable about everything else, but it can really throw you off. I think of a few times where I'm like, you know, this is a great old church building. I feel like it's being sorry uh, elevated to, you know, I'm, I'm, my, my spirit is being elevated by these big rafters and beautiful stained glass windows. And it's a nice liturgy. And all of a sudden, right before the, the you know, liturgy of the Eucharist part where you start to do like the whole, you know, words of consecration, you know, after the homily, everybody gets up and they all circle around the altar. And like people are like, hey, come on up. Like we're circling the altar. And we're like, uh, we're just gonna sit here we have lots of little kids and it was like it was actually a, a case where we were staying in cincinnati for a month and that was the mm. closest church to us and that was the last time we went there wow. um, and i even think of another like there's a there's a local parish i went to and they, there's like a lot of things like they 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 have this like big garden and they harvest food for everybody like you know a lot of people in need and um they're like like you know pretty normal and chill about gay people like they don't they try to really not, you know, like bring anybody down. And I'm like, hey, this sounds like a great. 
And I get there and it's like, there's like a bunch of weird liturgical stuff and I feel like I'm sticking out because I don't understand what to do. Mm. And it's like not that big of a parish to begin with. And like, number one thing, especially like if I like want to bring my kids eventually, I'm like, I need to disappear in this building because my kids are going to raise holy hell <laughs> no matter what. And I need to make myself scarce. And it, like, if you feel like you can't do that, like if you feel like you're going to be the center of attention because you don't know, you're not in the click. Mm -hmm. um, which... You know, to kind of conclude, that's a kind of what's started to happen with the TLM is when you, or the, I'm sorry, Trinitine Latin Mass, Latin Mass, I started using the abbreviations already, uh, <laughs> is is when all these things get piled on top of it, like beyond, like, we're just going to, like, do this different thing during church. Like, you're not in the clique anymore. You feel alienated. And in this case, it ends up being a lot of things that are outside of the Mass. It ends up being, like... Um, how do you express, you know, like, how do you interact with the world, basically? Um, and you can't, you can't participate anymore in a place where you thought you really, like, everybody was on equal footing. Mm. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I don't see it going away. <coughs> no. No. I mean, I don't, unfortunately, in many ways, I don't see it a whole lot different than the Protestant side no matter the denomination, you know, and that feeling that you described, I don't know how many times I felt that in different churches, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's almost, it's weird because it's almost a political movement. Yeah. It's weird. It really it's, is. It's really weird. It has far more in common with like the, the far right strains of evangelicalism than, you know, the other strains of Catholicism. I feel like really the whole like world of us Christendom has kind of been realigned where like previously mm -hmm. we might be like more like, Protestants versus Catholics, that's the big thing. And it's like Catholic versus Catholic, Protestant versus Protestant. Hmm. That's like right versus left. Right, yeah, basically. Yeah. It's, right. it's coming down on the political lines. Everything is getting absorbed by politics. Yeah. Divide and conquer. Yeah. All right. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. Well, that was fun. It was a good night. It was yeah. informative. Last thoughts, Mike? Man, I don't know. That's tough. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. I do think like the common thread here is to be self-aware of things. Even even with the last topic, I think like you know, if you find something that communicates to you spiritually, ask yourself why is that communicating to you spiritually, and and don't ever be comfortable. God calls us to be uncomfortable. So kind of examine yourself daily and and grow. Yeah, Gumby. Uh, good night. <laughs> Nothing taboo over brew. You can probably still turn in your Zacharias and John MacArthur books for a refund. <laughs> <you need> to. <laughs> hey, Keith. I, I feel so bad for all the news we haven't covered, which I know we have tentative plans for. Oh, yeah. Um, we'll more nights. Yes, yeah, they're, 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 you know, we were talking about some of the, you know, the LGBTQ issues yeah. that have come mm. up with the church yeah, we, yeah. that will be, we, and we intentionally, I think, kind of left those out because we're actually looking at, like, hey, we, may, we might need to cover that and some other issues around faith and sexuality, yeah. you know, in a separate time. So, um, wow, I have been overwhelmed by the amount of faith-based news this year, and it would be great if it slows down a little. And if it slows down, we would still have more than enough content for many news podcasts. No doubt. <laughs> well, we have a new website up, so please check it out. We've been working hard on it. Um, I think it looks pretty doggone slick. And uh, we're 
always willing to take support for our brews and our cocktails. So please feel free to drop in over at patreon.com forward slash Bible over brews or anchor.fm forward slash Bible over brews and uh, donate so we can keep bringing you awesome reviews on everything we're doing. We will soon be bringing up COVID slows down a little bit, bringing up some uh, also some brewery tours. So that will be a lot of fun as well. So please check us out on like every social media platform. I love you. Take care. Good night. Godspeed.